This episode of The Taylor Stevens Show is brought to you by listeners, readers, and patrons. If you'd like to learn how to support this podcast, please visit www.patreon.com slash taylorstevens. This is Taylor Stevens, New York Times bestselling and award-winning author of Kick-Ass International Thrillers, and this is The Taylor Stevens Show with my good friend Steve Campbell, where we are kicking writing in the butt one word at a time. And Taylor, you are one of the few people that I know who finds useful information on Twitter and doesn't just use Twitter as a way of fueling anxiety. (laughs) <laughs> but you're actually going out on Twitter and you use it to, to find specific bits of news. You follow the people that you're interested in hearing from. And you've collected a lot of like really interesting little tidbits of information about writing. And, and we're going to talk about some of those today. Yes. Right. So, storytelling, more storytelling. Yes. Than my, my Twitter feed is, I follow very, very few people on Twitter, and I really don't tweet very much at all. Twitter for me is not a a tool for blah, blah, blahing into the internet so much as a way to get information from just this eclectic mix of interests that I have. And one of the people that I follow on Twitter um, is a guy named Scott Myers, which I've mentioned him before multiple times on this podcast. His uh his handle is go into the story and all he does is tweet or teach. He's a teacher um, and a screenwriter and he, 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 he does what I do, but even more um, on screenwriting where I do to novel writing, but like to the nth degree, like he's actually got classes available and he's got so much blog material that he references. And so I don't, really always go in depth on everything that he writes, but I find that so much of what he shares is, uh, it has a lot of insight. Like I originally started following him because I've often thought about learning how to do a screenplay. Like it it interests me. It's a different form of storytelling. It's much more visual. Um, And I'm not even sure because of the way that I tell stories and the way that I write, I'm not sure that I would, um, be able to make that shift very well because I'm so inside the characters' heads and you just don't, it's, that doesn't exist in screenwriting. Everything is what you can show. Um, and so, but, I, but I'm still interested. But So I, I've always continued to follow him. And every once in a while, he'll, he posts quotes from other screenwriters or directors or whatever. And sometimes they are very, uh, the advice is so applicable to writing novels that I'll just screenshot it and, and keep it. And I've sort of built up a small little collection of these um, insights that either come from him or come from other industry people that he's he's quoting. And so I thought today it might be interesting to just read some of these and, and discuss them. They're not related in a... Um, like they're not topically related in the sense that all of them make up one topic. They're they're random. They're scattered all over the place, but they all apply to storytelling. And so I just wanted, and, and a lot of times the things that they're saying in these are stuff that we've already talked about, but it's just a different way of looking at it. So I thought, okay, let's let's do this. Let's let's just discuss some of like read some of them, discuss them, or maybe not even discuss them, and and move on to the next. So we'll do a few and and see how that goes. 
Okay, what's first? Okay, so this one is... I feel like this is a game show. <laughs> and so our first one Scott. <laughs> this one is Scott. He's not quoting anyone else. Um, and he says, ask this question. Why does this story have to happen to this protagonist at this time? It's not random. It must happen now. And when I read that and I had to screen grab it, my immediate thought was, oh, my God, this is just a different way of describing the inciting incident. Because when we talk about building out a story in novels and we talk about how everything is cause and effect, that it all flows from a single like pathway where this this thing happened and it set these events in motion. When you have a story that is missing this concept of why does this story have to happen to this protagonist in this time, when you're not answering that in your story, you're going to end up with so many contrived situations. And it's going to feel very forced because it's not personal to the protagonist. It's not personal to the moment. And so I, I faced this very, to give a real life example of what it looks like when I was writing the Jack and Jill, uh, the first Jack and Jill book, I had this idea, this, this, this scene where um, I knew how the story was going to start where the, and I knew the, the twins were going to be called to their mother's house and the mother's house was going to blow up. And I knew that it was going to involve this search for the father. And the question that really burned at me that, until I answered this question, the story just wasn't going to come together is why now? Why is this happening now? If, the, if these twins are 26 years old and they've been living this life for as long as they can remember, why now? And forcing myself to answer that question is what led to so much of the story being fleshed out about Claire's history and what, you know, Claire's previous searches to hunt for Dimitri and that she was the one who set all of these events in motion because she was like, it's now or never, I'm getting old, people are dying, memories are fading, I'm never going to get the answers that I want if I don't do this now. The kids are grown, I've trained them, they'll be fine on their own. They don't need me anymore. Now it's time to go. Right. That was the, the answer to why now. But if I had not answered that and I had left that open in that story, that entire story would have fallen apart. And when you look at when I go back and I, I look at this and then I go back and I look at every single book that I've written, that core question of why this person, why now is at the heart of Every single story. It is the basis, this is the groundwork for every single story. And without it, there is no story. But I've never seen it put so succinctly as Scott did in this. So I'm going to read it one more time. Ask yourself this question Why does this story have to happen to this protagonist at this time? It's not random, it must happen now. Why? Okay, this next one is from Barbara Stepanski, who, according to Steve, who Googled before we started this episode, is she's a director, you said? Yes, she is a film director, film film and TV writer and director. Okay, so this particular quote 
left me, I got all excited when I saw it because it uses some verbiage that we have hammered away with on this show. And it's the first time I've seen somebody else also use the same language. And I got all excited about it. So it says, if a scene doesn't have a cause and effect built into it, it doesn't make sense to have it. You have to make it essential enough that without that scene, the next scene couldn't exist. And the words cause and effect were what made me go, ah, so awesome. Because um, we, we've talked about it multiple times, but cause and effect is like one of the foundational principles. If, I, if I'm trying to teach writing in which I ever get this craft program put together, there's a few foundational principles on which all the rest of the storytelling um, guidelines or instruction or how to whatever, it holds them up. Without those principles, the rest of it just kind of falls apart. And cause and effect is one of them. Cause and effect, there's cause and effect in your storytelling and there's cause and effect in the actual structure of the words that they show up on the page. So when we're talking about cause and effect from the writing perspective of it, we're talking about what order the different um, sentence fragments go. That's where we get, you know, thought, action, speech, cause and effect. You know, we think it, then it happens, cause and effect. And in storytelling, um, the story telling aspect of it cause and effect is everything like if if this happens if something happens on the page it is going that's the cause it is going to have an effect you cannot have an effect without the cause you cannot have a scene without cause and effect because cause and effect is something happening we talk about plot we talk about character we talk about conflict all of that is born out of cause and effect something happens Here's the result of that something. And if you have a scene without it, why does that scene even exist? What purpose is it solving? It's not going to solve. It's not going to add any conflict or conflict resolution. It's not going to tell you anything about the character and it's not going to drive the plot forward. So could you read that one again? It says, if a scene doesn't have a cause and effect built into it, it doesn't make sense to have it. You have to make it, meaning the scene, essential enough that without that scene, the next scene couldn't exist. Okay, that's that's interesting. And it was it's actually the second half of that that really resonated with me. And it, it you know it's interesting when you see these little like two line meme type things or two sentence things. You know what what captures your attention, and, and what captured your attention was the cause and effect thing, and it was the second part of it that really captured my attention just the importance of this scene needs to be here for the story to hold together kind of thing because i have a tendency to put in scenes that don't need to be there so if if i had to find a phrase or one of the foundations that we hammer on on this show that's the equivalent of the last half of that quote it would be every scene has to have a purpose i've heard that before (laughs) (laughs) so you have to make it essential enough that without that scene the next scene couldn't exist every scene has to serve a purpose has to have a purpose all right taylor what's next this next um quote was a um i think it was just a retweet and i think it originated from monica beletsky and it has to do with plot versus theme 
And it says, what happens is plot. What it's about is theme. Now, we've talked about that. We've said almost those same words. But what I love about this quote is what comes next is that she gives a concrete example. They capture someone, that's plot. They test loyalty or trust in doing so, that's theme. You can connect storylines with theme directly or by subverting the idea. So that little snippet there of they capture someone, that's plot. They test loyalty or trust in doing so, that's theme. I thought that was just mm. a beautifully concise way of summarizing the difference between one and the other. Yeah, that's really good. So, Taylor, what is next? <laughs> so, <laughs> this next one is from Kevin Coyne, and I don't know who he is. I'm so sorry, but I'm sure he's very important and knows what he's talking about. It says, I have a mantra in class. Readers do no work. It is for us to do the work first so that none is required of our readers. Clear thinking leads to clear writing, which leads, most importantly, to clear understanding. And if I had to link that to one of the catchphrases that we use here a lot on the show, it has to do with eliminating grit. Yes. Yes. That's exactly what I was thinking about uh, when you were reading it. And that, that goes all the way back. <laughs> I can't even remember the first time we mentioned grit, but yes, that's, um, that's a good way of putting it. So let's, let's talk about this for a little bit. The idea of okay. um, the readers do no work. Is that, what's your, what's your thinking about that? So, they're, they could go in two directions, right? I think that someone who's maybe not experienced in the art, the craft of storytelling would take that to mean that you have to explain everything and you have to, you know, describe all this detail so that the reader just sits back and doesn't do anything. But that's not what, in my opinion, this is talking about. What this is talking about is that you are not making the reader have to figure out what you're trying to say. You're not making the reader have to restructure your sentences to understand uh, the order of things. It's eliminating all the extra little things that the reader's brain is doing that's pulling them out of the story. It's a, you eliminate all that grit so they're not having to do the work of cleaning up your prose or cleaning up your storytelling because you're very clear in what it is you're trying to communicate and you communicate it in such a way that there's very little room for misunderstanding. And the reason I say very little room is because it is absolutely impossible to write something that nobody's going to misunderstand or misconstrue. Like you, you can make it as clear as you want and somebody's going to come into it from a different perspective with their own bias and they're going to interpret it some, some other completely different way. You can't help that, you know, because every story is really a mix of, of the reader's brain and the writer's brain. And it creates a, a unique experience between those two based on the reader's experience and what's on the page and no two people have the same life experiences. So no 
no two people are going to read the story exactly the same way. But what you're trying to do is eliminate as much of that as possible to to get it to where the any kind of misunderstandings or whatever is going to be at the margins. It's not going to be the bulk of your readers. And you do that by by clarity of thought, really understanding what it is you're trying to say. And sometimes you have to write whole scenes, entire paragraphs for even you to understand what you're getting at, what the key part of that is that you're trying to convey. And then you've got to whittle it down or rewrite it so that there's no wandering, meandering to get to the actual, here's where we're at, right? This is, this is what's happening. And in my personal experience, the hardest, hardest part of that is when you've got characters trying to figure things out from pulling information in from multiple directions mm-hmm. and they're winnowing that information down and you've got to convey it in a very concrete, discrete uh, format where it's just this leads to this, leads to this, leads to this, leads to my conclusion. And it can't be this and it can't be this and it can't be this because of these reasons. That is where it's really, really hard to do because it's there's just so many possibilities out there. And you you almost it, it, it can be where you almost start bringing stuff in that people wouldn't have even thought of. Um, and then the other is in dialogue when you're trying to convey because what we say out of our mouths is a is a product of all the things that we ourselves are thinking and feeling. But we, when we're speaking, do not just rattle all this, this cacophony of words and emotions and everything. We don't just dump all of that out. We filter it. And we filter it to try to convey intent. And sometimes those words are intended to provoke. Sometimes they're intended to... Uh, spur someone into action. Sometimes they're intended to obfuscate our true intentions. And you cannot accurately convert that into words on the page unless you actually understand what's going on inside your character's head, what that character's own confluence of thought and emotion and everything would be. So sometimes it can take a while to even figure that out to figure out what their true intent is and to write it in such a way that the subtext is understood by the reader in the way that the character expected the person they're speaking to, to understand and interpret it. It can take multiple attempts at conversation, at dialogue, at rewriting it and rewriting it to try and get the, the exact words to convey it um, in a way that you wouldn't ever spend that much time in your conversations in real life, because dialogue on the page is like condensed. It's, it's condensed milk to the gallon of milk. Right. Mm -hmm. So, um, when I, when I read a quote like this, that talks about the reader does no work and that it, we do the work that's required and clear thinking leads to clear writing, which leads most importantly to clear understanding. My interpretation of that is, eliminating grit to really understand then really understanding where your your characters and are coming from what it is you're trying to convey on the page and it it actually boils down to that quote that i read uh we read on the show some weeks back about um 
having those periods with nothing to do but think. Mm-hmm. And that that's where a lot of the real work gets done. That's sort of the the tag along to this issue is that you in order to have that kind of thought clarity, you got to spend a lot of time really mulling it over and and really understanding what it is that you're you're trying to convey. And that takes time it, that that happens in the away from the page as often as it does while you're working. Interesting. All right. So what do we have next? Okay. So this one is from Anthony Greco. I think that's how you pronounce his name, but I'm not sure. And it says, you want people to experience a story, not plot. There's a big difference between the two. You won't notice structure and page counts when you're lost in a good storytelling. The plot is a canvas. The story is rooted in emotions. And so this, I think, if we had to relay it back to some of the principles that we've gone over on this show, it's that we have separated story and writing. Like story is not the same as writing. And that the foundation for storytelling is character conflict and plot. So if you understand that story is built off of three tripods, which are character, conflict, and plot, then you can't ever mistake plot for story. You understand that plot is just one part of storytelling. But if you're not aware of that, it's really easy to conflate the two. And it's, it's like a chicken and the egg thing, which came first, the plot or the character or the other egg, which is the conflict. And they're all interwoven. And all three of those interweave to create story. But plot alone is not the story. Can you read the quote one more time? You want people to experience a story, not plot. There's a big difference between the two. You won't notice structure and page counts when you're lost in good storytelling. The plot is a canvas. The story is rooted in emotions. So the emotional part of it is the conflict and the character. The plot is what's happening to the character, and the conflict is what's derived from what's happening to the character. So storytelling is emotion you have to feel, and plot will never give that to you because you don't, Plot is what's happening, but the rest of it is who it's happening to. And we feel what's happening to. We don't feel what's happening. Interesting. I mean, that's that's well put. <laughs> you feel what's ha- we feel what's happening to. We don't feel what's happening. Yeah. So you can have a plot, but. You're not going to care about the plot if you don't care about the characters that that plot is happening to. We really don't care what's happening for the sake of itself. We only care about what's happening as it pertains to who it's happening to. Hmm. But if you have characters where nothing's happening to them, well, then you don't care either because nothing's happening. All right. What's next? Okay, I've got three more of these. So this one is from Rick Bass. It says, telling a story straight from real life is only being a reporter, not a creator. You have to make your story bigger, better, more magical, more meaningful than life is, no matter how special the moment may have been. 
And I am thinking about that in terms of stories that are based on real life events or people who are like, oh, so many interesting things have happened to you. You should write a memoir or Mm -hmm. someone who's been through a really specific type of situation and people are like, oh, that would make a great movie. And life is life. And and that's one of my biggest, um, I guess you could say, issues about writing a quote unquote memoir about life in the cult or whatever, is that it was 30 years of boring interspersed with really awful stuff, but a lot of boring and a lot of repetition and mundane monotony. And that's not a story. And to be able to tell a real life story You can't just tell what happened. You have to create a narrative structure out of it. And so that's what he's talking about here is you're not just telling this happened, that happened. There is a a storytelling quality that goes into finding the interesting aspects of it. And and I can't give you an example of what that means. Okay, so... um, when the big freeze hit Texas, I wrote uh, several posts about what was happening and how I was dealing with it. And also some things that happened that were very um, heart wrenching to me um, and, and really uh, affected me emotionally that, that some interactions that I had with other people. And when I'm telling these stories of what happened, I'm not just relaying facts. I am relaying it as a narrative. And I, I do this without thinking it is, I don't sit there and go now, how can I structure this event and talk about it in such a way that it's captivating to the people who are reading it? This is, if I have a gift, I am a natural born storyteller. When I write about stuff that's happened in my own life, I do not go into it thinking I'm going to tell a good story. I just can't freaking help myself. I'm a storyteller and I tell it as a narrative. It has story narrative. It has, it has you know, the conflict. It has the, the emotional pull. It has the, the beats and the moments and it. And it has a beginning and an end and it, it ties together in some way. It does, even if it's not a complete, you know, here, I'm going to novelize this little thing that happened. It is a storytelling narrative that takes an event and turns it into something that you feel as you're reading it. It's not just, hey, uh, our goat got uh, pregnant and had a baby. And when we found her, um, yeah, she was in hard labor. And so I had to pull the baby out and now everything's okay. Yay. Right. That's those are the details. Right. That is not how I'm going to tell you that story. I'm going to, to to pull you in so that you are there with me on the ground, sticking your hands into that coat's insides to find that baby. And you're going to feel it and you're going to feel relief when you find out that that baby's still alive because you're going to feel my sense of desperation and you're going to feel it in a couple of paragraphs. That is storytelling narrative, right? That is not just recounting facts. That is turning it into something bigger. It's making it magical, right? And I don't do that in a... Like deliberately, like, ha ha ha, look look at what I'm going to accomplish with these details. It's just I can't freaking help myself. I'm a storyteller. It's what I do, right? (laughs) If something happens, oh, my God, I've got to tell this story. And I'm going to tell it in a very 
director esque. Like I, I am a, the movie director of my own life, basically. <laughs> and and you're going to 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 see these things on the pages. I recount for you in visual detail that you're going to feel like you're there. I don't know how I do it. I don't know where I learned how to do it. It's just born inside of me. It, I suppose if I tried to do it and actually tried to tell the story of my life, I would fail miserably at it because it would have, it would be a calculated thing of like, now how do I figure this out? How do I tell it in such a way that it's interesting, whatever. It's probably one of the reasons why I just don't want to, because it would be, it would feel, feel like I'm trying to make it something that it's not. But ultimately at its heart, you are a creator, right? And as this quote says, you have to make your story bigger, better, more magical, more meaningful than life is, no matter how special the moment may have been. Hmm. All right, let's do one more. Okay. Oh, I'm going to skip this one because that's like a whole, it's, it's all about subplots and stuff. And it's, that's the big one. But okay, so this one is from David Mamet. And it says, every scene should be able to answer three questions. This is so brilliant. Who wants what from whom? What happens if they don't get it? And why now? So this that why now is now the second time we've had somebody say, this is not random. It ha- there has to be a reason why it's happening now. But the who wants what from whom and what happens if they don't get it, that's conflict right there. That's character and conflict. And that's going to entwine with plot. So if you have a scene where you don't have anyone who wants something from someone and there's no issue at all of if they don't get it, you've got to question why that scene exists in the first place. And it's just a different way of re-expressing what Barbara Stepensky said when she said, if a scene doesn't have cause and effect built into it, it doesn't make sense to have it. So what David Mamet is doing here is telling you that that cause and effect, right, is going to also prompt the question of who wants what from whom in this scene, what happens if they don't get it and why now? It's a different version of the same concept. So in the the who what wants I can't even say it who wants what from whom idea in specific scenes you could have two or three different answers there right if you've got two or three different characters yeah yes yes because every so all of us as human beings we are all the center of our own little universe You know, we try and pretend that we're a little more magnanimous than that and a little less egocentric. But the simple fact is we are very self-centered creatures and we are at the center of our own universe. And, And in our minds, everything revolves around us, even if we go out of our way to try and not act that way. So you take that into storytelling, right? You have three characters in a room. Now. If you're not experienced in storytelling, you probably only have in your mind, even if there are three characters in that room, you're going to be focused entirely on just the one who is your main, your your primary character in that scene. And those other two characters sort of fade into the background and they become prop pieces that um, help to bolster whatever is happening in that that scene to your main character. 
But in reality, every single character that's in that room is the center of their own little universe. So even decide the bit pieces, let's say you have, let's go with a very cliche thing. You've got a henchman in that room, right? Now we might not be inside that henchman's head. We might not ever be inside that henchman's head. And he might very much be a bit part or a bit player, but that henchman views that scene from his own perspective. But what does that henchman want? Does he want to protect his boss? Does he want to get paid? Does he really just looking forward to getting out of there and getting laid tonight with his hot date? Like whatever's going on in his head, even if we never see it on the page, it's going to show up in how he interacts, what your main character observes from him. And when you forget that all every character in that room wants something, then you end up with cardboard cliched characters. If you know what each character in that room wants, regardless of whether it shows up in the page, you're going to add a layer of depth to your writing because you are mindful and you are viewing, you're stepping outside of one head, putting yourself in another and viewing the same scene from a completely different angle. And just being aware of that yourself, you find yourself adding details that you might have otherwise skipped, um, adding perspectives that you might have otherwise skipped because you are aware and you're aware of that, of answering that question, who wants what from whom, what happens if they don't get it. Now in that little example, that cliched example, we have this henchman, right? He's not the story. He's not the main story. And maybe he doesn't want anything from anybody in the room except just to make his boss happy. So if his boss throws a scowl in the direction of the henchman, that henchman is going to react to that scowl. And it's going to prompt him to do something that he believes will make his boss happy. What's he going to do if he doesn't make his boss happy? You as the author know that, and you know how much of that belongs on the page. And you have to keep yourself from spinning the story out into a million different directions and stay focused on your actual story and your actual plot. But you still need to know who wants what from whom and what happens if they don't get it and why now. That's, I, that may be my favorite of all of these, the David Mamet quote. What I love the most is that they're all saying the same thing. They're saying the same mm -hmm. thing we talk about on this show. But because it comes in different words and a different perspective, it maybe communicates it in a way that's easier to understand than some of the half-hour ramblings that I do. <laughs> <laughs> this was a fun show. I'm, I'm glad we did this. This was... Um... And I know you have a million of these. I suspect no, you. Actually, I don't I know. Only have one, I only have one more, actually, and it's too big to, to do on the show because it has to do with the importance of subplots, and it's actually part of a five-part series, and I only screen grab one. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> well, we'll save that for another day. Yes. Well, thank you guys for listening, and thanks to Scott Myers for, Scott Myers, for tweeting yes. all these things out. Um, great uh, food for thought for all of us. So thank you guys for listening. We will be back again next Tuesday. Thanks for being here, guys, and we'll see you next week. <laughs>